So, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, we appreciate all the support. I mean, you're, you know, one of our biggest supporters and just advisors. So we definitely appreciate um, everything. Just wanted to take some time to uh, say that. Um, Thank you. And, and for those that just don't know, I know you have a uh, you know illustrious career and background in uh, entrepreneurship and startups and business. So just ha- like what what do you do today and kind of what's your background? How did you get here? <laughs> well, first, thank you, Hamilton, for having me on your series. Uh, I am really really excited to be here and support um, you and your company. Uh, and uh, I think like many entrepreneurs, I, I didn't wake up one day and boom, I was an entrepreneur. Uh, it was something that literally I uh, fell into, or as I look back on my life, I was doing all along, but never identified that that's what I was. And so today I, I have the fun of running uh, Old Dominion University's Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Uh, and we actually are a resource here in Hampton Roads uh, for a one-stop shop, if you will, for students, faculty, staff, and the community to assist uh, them uh, in any way, shape, or form with entrepreneurship. Uh, and, and how I got here uh, is not because I'm an academic, but because I, I, I am an entrepreneur. I've, I've had the fortune of uh, being involved in starting up companies directly myself in healthcare. Um, I've had the fortune of working in teams who started up large companies. Uh, I've actually been an entrepreneur, which is a really important thing to talk about. How do, how do you really innovate in a, in a large organization or an existing organization? It can be government, it can be a large company, it can be a not-for-profit. And um, I've actually had experience in those uh, arenas. And there are some different techniques, but it, it can be done. And, and I think the other thing is, when I, when I was growing up, I always liked to do new stuff. And so um, even as a, a, a small child, my parents and my teachers and my friends, I, somehow I was always doing new things and you know, trying stuff out. So uh, I, I certainly always encourage people to, to try new things, even if you aren't sure what you're going to do. So kind of, kind of an odd path. Where'd you grow up and like, what type of things were you doing? Were you like building something at a, like for a science fair or were you doing like, you know, hand to hand like sales <laughs> in, on the schoolyard? Like how, how did that work out? Yeah, so I grew up in Pittsburgh, <clears throat> Pennsylvania. So kind of a gritty place, you know, we were all like hardworking people, truly, um, in that city and I love it. And uh, so I was the oldest grandchild and of, of many grandchildren. And so I, first of all, was always in charge of the kids' table, which meant I had to organize all the activities for my cousins and be the broker, if you will, with the adults. So I actually um, characterized some of my ability to work with different sorts of people and bridge gaps and things like that, all the way back to doing those kinds of things at the kitchen table or Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. Um, I love Girl Scouts. I love selling cookies. Back then, we took them around in wagons and knocked on doors. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we had like hand-to-hand selling. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the internet. You know, we didn't have social media. Our parents wouldn't buy them. We had to do like real sales. Isn't that a good experience? It was an amazing it really is, experience. It teaches you the value of the, the sale and the value of the time and the the rejection and all those things. It is so true because when you go up to a you know a stranger's door, literally uh, again unheard of probably today, and say, "Would you like to buy some cookies?" Mm-hmm. You know, I obviously had to understand a little bit about what the customer might want and what you know flavors they might or did they want to buy my cookies because I was a Girl Scout or because they wanted cookies or they liked me or whatever their reasons were. 
So it was very, very valuable. Um, and, and so I had many of those experiences. And probably the most important thing is all my um, childhood, I really, really, really wanted to be the first woman astronaut. I mean, that's what I wanted to be. I had, I, I studied science and math and just really enjoyed all that sort of thing. And then I had a really, uh, some bad experiences in high school when I went on a, um, one of these really uh, amazing wild roller coasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was brand new and high tech at the time. Well, unfortunately, I got completely sick, oh, <laughs> like throw up sick. Yep. And it didn't happen once; it happened several times. So I thought, well, you know, it's probably the end of my astronaut career. If I can't even go up in a, in a roller coaster, mm-hmm. how in the world am I going to yeah. go into space? So that really set me back because <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. And fortunately, I had my other side of my brain that worked. I loved being a newspaper editor for my junior high and high school papers. And so I really focused a lot on communication, um, being an activist uh, person, uh, looking at issues in my school and in my community. And it, you know, uh, journalism at the time was, was really used for those kinds of things. So this sounds like a lot of weird little dot points. How in the world no, did I'm I get to be an No, I'm tying it together. I'm tying together. <laughs> Early sales career. I'm tying yeah. together communication. You know, those are like central. You know, at least in like my opinion on what it takes to be uh, kind of successful. So, yeah. What What was it like your your first? Did you have a first job after college? Like, what were you doing? And kind of, you know, how did you get into companies? Well, you know, two two things. One is when uh, when I was in graduate school. Uh, as I look back, I actually had an entrepreneurial experience that I didn't even realize. And uh, very briefly, uh, it was University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, City and Regional Planning. Uh, we did not have a, a journal for planning. Um, law schools often did. It was sort of one of these things you did in academics where you would publish all your best material, uh, not only for researchers, but practitioners. So we were a group of grad students. We're sitting around one day and we go, you know what, we should start a journal. So we did, and we did everything you would do to start a company. So we identified the fact there was no competition, nobody was doing it. Uh, we formed our team. Um, we engaged our chair, who was a, an angel funder, if you will. He uh, agreed to give me an assistantship to be the first editor, which is pretty amazing. Uh, we put an advisory group together. Uh, we talked to practitioners. What did customers want? We did all the things. It's so interesting now looking back. And we, we literally launched a journal. And the most interesting thing was I actually had to pitch to uh, the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation for a true angel investment way back then. I had no idea what I was doing, but obviously we were successful. We got uh, several thousand dollars, which was a big, big deal at the Walk time. Walk us through this, this pitch. How did, how did you prepare? <laughs> what, what was in the presentation? What was the question and answer like? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I didn't have my own car to drive there. So my chairman had to drive me, number one. Number two, it wasn't a pitch. I had to do a formal written submission and then verbally present it. Then it was in this big, austere, dark conference room, you know, with all these austere looking bored people were looking at me, a lowly graduate student. And I, I remember like these serious looking eyes at me and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is not gonna work. How in the world am I ever gonna be able to make any progress here? So I simply made the case for 
the problem that we are going to solve, which is there was no journal. Um, it didn't exist in planning. Uh, it would be a great honor for the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill to be able to do it. It was driven by students and we had a plan to sustain it past the grant. And what else could I say? And then they excused me and that was it. Wow. <laughs> so, no Q&A, just thank you very much. And then the clock ticked for I think several weeks and we got a letter in the mail back then. We didn't get emails. We got literally a letter in the mail that we, we, we had been awarded the, um, the, the gift. That's awesome. So it was, it was pretty impactful to me. And, and what's even more amazing is, uh, again, it's student run. It's still going today. Um, students continue to run it. And so anyway, that, that experience really taught me a lot about uh, organizing around a problem. And even though it was a very small thing, um, the, the, the fact that we could mobilize a team and think about all the steps with a group of people um, is really a model that I certainly recommend to entrepreneurs very, very early, um, or, or obviously as they uh, build, build an enterprise. What about your next kind of experience after that? Like, did you go in and did you work at a company and kind of find out you were hitting a ceiling or did you just, you know, go off the deep end at that point? Like, what was next? <laughs> so the next thing was none of the above. I actually worked in government. So my first job was in Washington, D.C., because I love government and policy. And uh, I worked for a uh, group called the National Conference of State Legislatures, and I got to be, as a very young person, basically a public policy analyst and lobbyist on the Hill. So once again, a very impactful experience very quickly, um, having an experience sort of beyond my years, which is something I, I think I always encourage people to do, is don't be afraid to take something you think is maybe more than you can take on. So, because uh, I said, well, I never had government experience. Well. You have to start somewhere, right? So at any rate, that was my first job, and I uh, worked there. And then I, was, I worked for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development for a number of years. And the common denominator about those experiences were, um, as a, uh, a quote-unquote lobbyist, we had to figure out customer needs, right? Uh, what do constituents need? How do we explain something in a very compelling way to a legislator and their staff? And how do we mobilize others to achieve an end? And the beauty of legislation, it has beginnings and ends. You know, sessions end, so you have to work with a time frame. Uh, money is um, yeah, finite. It, it, you know, how do we actually work with the budget? So all of those things were, were very important. And most important of all, what I was working on in those years were brand new programs. So here we go again. How do we create a brand new program that doesn't exist? In, in these cases, it was in housing uh, community development. How do we uh, communicate in a way that uh, others may understand it and support it? And then how do we obviously get it funded? So once again, I didn't realize I was being entrepreneurial, but I was being thrown into these situations um, in, in a government and policy mode. Did you work at a, like at a firm or was it a organ like- Government, did, I worked for- You worked for the government. I worked for the government. And you were lobbying for issues. <laughs> On behalf of the government, yes. Yeah. So my first jobs were literally in government. Got being it. an entrepreneur in government, if you will, yes. And, and after that, where, where did you go? So after that, I thought I needed, uh, I enjoyed it, uh, but I, I didn't really think this is where I was going to end my career or continue my career. And so I really wanted to get more private sector experience. And um, this is again where networking, being open to change is really important. 
Uh, by this time, I had moved for a variety of reasons, lived in South Carolina, and had an opportunity to work for a bank called the CNS Bank of South Carolina, right? And um, a, a person that I valued very highly suggested to me that I might want to consider working for a bank. It was an amazing time in banking, a lot of deregulation, a lot of change. Uh, they were looking for uh, people that did not have banking experience necessarily. They were obviously looking to hire women and minorities, uh, very, very focused on that, uh, always are, but particularly then. And I turned my nose up at it, because I'm thinking, a bank? I'm, I'm imagining the teller line walking sure. into an office. I'm thinking, that, I don't think that's really me. I, I was just lobbying in the Congress. How could I go be a bank teller? Well, of course, I was completely wrong about it. And fortunately, once again, listened to advice of others, um, and I ended up uh, being offered a job there. That bank ultimately became part of the uh, Bank of America over a say, series of years. Was that CNS Sovereign yes. and then Sovereign Bank and Bank of America? Yes, it. exactly. So you're familiar with all that with your background. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so, so literally there was a series over, over that period of time of a lot of quick bank mergers and acquisitions. And so once again, I got thrown into that environment to lead a lot of that change. Um, banking deregulation was happening real time and we literally had to do product development. So the ability to be an entrepreneur, again, I, nobody used that word. Uh, I certainly didn't, wasn't certainly my, my, my title, but that's exactly what I did. And so we were forming new companies, we were bringing together new cultures of organizations, we were creating whole new lines of products for retail customers and business customers. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was an amazing period of time to really rapidly learn um, how to navigate change, how to make it work for you, if you will, uh, how to overcome resistance, how to really understand customers in a way that we, we never did in the bank back then. I mean, now it's, it's, it's accepted practice. So it was a very formative time for me um, to, to be involved in, in that period of time in banking. Were you leading teams or were you a sole contributor? Like how was like the organizational dynamic, I guess, when these, maybe before these mergers and then maybe after the mergers, if you were still there, like how did that kind mm -hmm. of play out? Yeah, so it was heavily team-based. And what was interesting uh, about these teams is it was a period of time when the, the model of teams, t team models were being explored. So not the hierarchical chain of command, uh, because think about this, if you're merging two different banks from two different regions, hierarchy just doesn't work. Uh, so we literally had to pull together teams that would manage across customer segments, which was rather new at the time, but we literally had segment teams and then had structures underneath. Mm -hmm. So I had the fortune of either leading or co-leading some of these uh, teams that were cross-functional cross um, and looked at customers. Uh, we also would organize teams that would look at problems to solve that we needed to look at. So it was a very interesting um, experience as opposed to very obvious teams like operations, marketing, <laughs> finance, uh, geography, it was really broader. And uh, back then we also had structures where you would have multiple reporting relationships. So you might report into a business unit, but you also reported into a customer segment group. So all of these were extremely uh, important experiences for me um, as a team leader, as a team member, as a co-leader. You know, I, I literally played all of those in various stages of the, of the activity. And what about your exit from banking? How did you leave? What did you go on to do? 
So my exit from banking, once again, it, it was my decision. Uh, I, I felt like, uh, once again, banking really wasn't for me. I still hadn't found completely what I wanted to do, still looking, again, message, keep looking, you know. And because uh, I love doing brand new stuff and new activities. And uh, so at that stage of my, my career, I um, kind of wanted to get back into something that was pu more public service oriented. You know, obviously I started in, in government. And so I started looking around and I had the, the good fortune of being introduced once again through networking to an amazing entrepreneur, uh, a psychiatrist who's an entrepreneur, and that's not an oxymoron who has founded a number of companies here in Hampton Roads um, at the time, Options Mental Health, which subsequently merged with Value Options, which subsequently merged up into Anthem uh, and Amerigroup and other companies. Uh, but what was uh, incredible about him was two things. One is he knew that healthcare was now going through these same transitions that banking was. And being an entrepreneur, he hired for the skill set, not for the tactical background. And the skill set was dealing with change, dealing with customers in a changing environment, dealing with regulation, and really thinking how do you market in a regulated environment? All of those kind of broader um, ecosystem changes and hired me because of my banking experience to help his company really take off in healthcare. And that's really, uh, was also transformational for me because this was a, a physician uh, who was extremely entrepreneurial, uh, always believed in patient care and solving community issues, but also knew that entrepreneurship and innovation was going to be the key to do it and was not afraid to try things out. So I, again, felt fortunate to be able to uh, be in that environment, which is where I learned a lot of my more tactical entrepreneurial skills. Um, as a startup CEO and part of a team uh, in the company, um, solving intractable problems in behavioral health, which are very serious. And so it was a, a very exciting time for me uh, to be involved with his company, then subsequently with Amerigroup, which of course started up from nothing with Jeff McWaters here, now part of Anthem, um, and really helped transform uh, not only the companies, but the industries in terms of th bringing innovation to healthcare. And what was some of the, I guess, takeaways? I mean, I know you were going from banking kind of into a similar, like, regulated field where you still had challenges. Like, what were some of the things that maybe you had to overcome that on a daily basis you were constantly thinking about? I mean, <clears throat> I kind of remember a little bit of that regulation. <laughs> like, when I was in banking, we were always, like, things would change and then we would have to do things in a certain mm -hmm. way. And, everyone would be upset about that for, you know, uh, <laughs> until the next thing happened and we had to kind of adjust. So like, what were some of the, maybe like the big challenges you, you all had to overcome? Well, th there are huge challenges in regulated industries, uh, banking being one, healthcare being another, there are many, many of them. The challenge is how in the world do you innovate in a regulated location? And one of the ways that they are not, they are not contradictory. I think that's the first thing. If you go into it thinking it's contradictory, you will never succeed. Uh, if you go into it saying, how can we, then your approach is different. So one tip I always give is to bring the innovators and the regulators into the same team. Not separate teams, not sequential teams, same team. And the reason is you listen to each other, right? You hear all the sides you figure out how can we, 
Um, and you do it in a way that's respectful of the regulation, but still pushes it and innovates. And time and time again, I have found this approach to be helpful in really breaking through these kinds of things. There's a tendency in, in a regulated environment to sort of work under the cover, <laughs> you know, or say, I don't want to deal with the hard issues. I'm just going to go take a team and go be a, a sole contributor, or I'm just going to go work on it myself, and then I'll bring it out and ask for forgiveness later. And the ask for forgiveness later mode does not work in those environments. What works is changing mindsets and, and really thinking through how can we do this together? And I will say that over and over is really an important step. How was the team structure then, like, and how did it scale? Like, how many people you think did you start with, and then how many, like, when everything was all rolled up, how big did the team kind of? Yeah, that's always a to? tough question because you you want the balance between getting work done, but also using the team to be able to field ideas um, and be a sounding board, be an ambassador, both in terms of the team, but back out into the organization. So. You know, there, there really is a balance. Uh, very often what we found is having um, sort of a smaller core group, maybe co-led by uh, sort of innovators and operators, you know, that type of language, uh, where you would work together uh, as a steering team, but then you would continue to have other people in your structure who would maybe take on deeper pieces of it. Uh, who would also play roles in terms of being uh, communicators in the organization. So very often we would try to have sort of a two-tiered type of arrangement that, that often would work. Yeah, so very fascinating how um, previous experiences, you know, you, you never expect it to, but it ends up helping you with the next thing you do. And sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not. Um, so where did you go kind of on your next uh Where'd you go from there? What was your next step in your career? Yeah, so my next step uh, was uh, after working with uh, Amerigroup and being involved in launching that company, uh, I really thought that what I wanted to do was work with entrepreneurs more directly. I felt like I had already gotten quite a bit of experience in running some uh, companies under the um, value options company, uh, Lifescape and others, working with Amerigroup and so on. Uh, and I really felt like uh, I wanted to more directly work with entrepreneurs. So I started my own consulting company, and before I knew it, I, didn't even, I, I hadn't even started it. I had two entrepreneurs approach me about um, really helping them start their companies. And so what happened in that period of time, um, I joined one called Genomine, which was back to the original founder, Ron Desorts, with um, Value Options. And he, um, a neurologist and myself, sounds like a, a silly joke, but it's not, uh, actually started a genetic testing company in psychiatry called uh, Genomine, which is still in operation today, uh, to do genetic testing in psychiatry that would help physicians do a better job prescribing medications. So it's a very worthwhile area. Um, you know, mental health often is it's a very uh, underserved area of medicine, very serious for people. And there actually is quite a lot that can be gleaned from uh, medical interventions. And so anyway, we started the company and began that. I also work with a, a company called Care Family, which was a, sort of a match.com for caregivers and care seekers. So I did that for a while and really enjoyed uh, working with those companies, uh, being involved as a, a startup CEO, uh, other advising and so on. When once again, along came an opportunity 
And this one happened to be Old Dominion University. Uh, what was exciting is that Old Dominion, of course, everybody knows of a major university in, here in Hampton Roads, uh, about 25,000 students, um, very well-respected organization, um, had gotten a gift from an alum, Mark Strom. And part of the value of the gift was to set up uh, the Strom Entrepreneurial Center from zero. So, total startup. And uh, I was approached about being interested in, in, in doing that. And I, I was a little surprised because I must admit, I loved doing what I was doing. I hadn't thought about working in an academic setting. But the more I thought about it and the more I conferred with a lot of my uh, friends and advisors, I decided to do it. Because once again, I get to start it up. And this is where I felt like all the types of experience I had had um, being an entrepreneur myself, working in an entrepreneurial event, being an entrepreneur, working in government, I literally had experienced it all and hopefully could translate that um, into assisting others at the center. And, and literally the rest is history. Um, uh, we have gone at Old Dominion from, from that center to literally uh, setting up a whole institute for innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, we have a number of locations, uh, downtown Norfolk as well as on the campus. Uh, we have a number of centers besides the Strom Center that work with entrepreneurs. We have one for women, one for veterans. Uh, we have a new one for open seas, for maritime commercialization. Uh, I can go on, but we, we, the point being is we have an array of resources both in the community and on the campus to support innovation, entrepreneurship, and economic development. It's an awesome organization. ODU really uh, supports um, playing uh, these kinds of roles with our audiences and being a leader in the region. And I have uh, really enjoyed every minute. I get to meet amazing people. Uh, certainly that's, I mean, Hamilton, that's how you and I met, actually. It's true. Uh, we literally met because of that. Uh, I, would have, I, would, I would have probably met you somehow, but <laughs> I think the, the initial way was when you were starting your company. Um, and we're interested in using some of our space. You were an ODU alum yourself, obviously had grown your company in a very exciting way. And um, so anyway, that's, that's what we do today. And uh, it is really exciting time right now in our ecosystem. You know, here in Hampton Roads, uh, there are a number of very exciting initiatives that are really empowering and supporting entrepreneurs and innovation. Uh, I think we'll see also as we look ahead um, in 2020 in the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, some very exciting initiatives as well. So in my view, uh, I don't think it's because I'm uh, in this space myself. I think it's a very exciting time for anybody who wants to start a business, wants to thrive in our region, uh, wants to consider being here uh, to expand or grow a business, uh, wants to find others who would support innovation uh, there is quite a lot of, of infrastructure that I think is finally coming together to make this a very exciting time for our region. At the quality of companies, they're looking at both. How do you all think about um, kind of advancing innovation in the broader ecosystem mm -hmm. for Hampton Roads? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and for an institution uh, like Old Dominion University, I would say there's three, three, three ways we look at ourselves and measure. Uh, the, the first is we are uh, an academic institution, a research institution in, in Hampton Roads in Virginia. So therefore, we measure ourselves in terms of our leadership role. What are we doing to build economic development capacity? And that's a combination of the, the research that we do, the translational uh, activities that we do, commercialization, the training and the tech talent uh, that we build. All of those things are ways that we measure ourselves in terms of our broader impact in the region. Um, and that, that cannot be overlooked. The second big way is really what I call our programming. And one of the philosophies we have at Old Dominion is that entrepreneurship is for everyone. 
entrepreneurship is for everyone. So what that means is we look at how do we translate it into our academic offerings, uh, make it accessible to anybody, depending on whatever their major or background is, and also in the community, how do we support some of the ongoing initiatives that are already happening? For example, 757 Accelerate and Start Wheel and some of the others. And then the third, uh, and I, it actually isn't third, it's, it's number one also, is the actual specific entrepreneurs. <laughs> you know, the one-to-one-to-one-to-one the one, the one, the one advising and support that we do is probably among the most important activity that we have. And what's very exciting for me, in particular to see in the short time that I've been at Old Dominion, is where I will mention or I will see a student, an undergraduate student, who I can remember walking in the Strom Entrepreneurial Center one day, saying they're interested in entrepreneurship, having an idea, and then guess what happens? A couple, just a couple years later, has started a company, is located in the region, and is building their company. And we have a couple of great examples already. I'll mention two very quickly. One is Mike Bayrot with Pullstar Fire. Uh, pullstarfire.com. Um, it's a matchless fire starter. Again, started as an undergraduate and in, in, in engineering student um, several years ago. Had an idea, uh, didn't know whether it had any meaning, could be patent and so on. Obviously, he looked into it, it could be. And uh, long story short, he graduated, which of course is wonderful, uh, took a full-time job and continued to work on his company. And what has happened since then is he's been able actually, with some other support in the entrepreneurial communities and his own grit and work, is to really build Pull Start Fire into a, a standalone entity, being one example. Another recent example is, is Blade Taylor uh, with uh, 3D Extremes. Again, he started thinking about it in high school, came to Old Dominion University um, with it in, in early innings. Uh, we certainly supported him in the center. He worked in our shared space. He worked at the Innovation Center. He graduated, took a full-time job, kept working on his company, and guess what? He's now in Percolator, another one of our assets here in the region and it's continuing to grow and build his company. So, you know, I could go on and on naming them, but the most important thing is to watch these examples of very specific people who actually were in the ecosystem, but have continued to expand, and most importantly, grow it here in Hampton Roads. Fantastic, no, those are great examples. And then I know you, just to switch gears, I know you're, you're representing ODU when it comes to uh, 757 Angels involvement. You know, what kind of like, things are you seeing in the kind of the capital markets or the investment world? Is it, you know, valuations are high and, you know, everyone wants to be WeWork or uh, <laughs> is it, you know, people are kind of pulling back a little bit because, yeah. you know, these massive funds are kind of coming in and take, taking all these later stage rounds. I mean, what trends maybe are you seeing out of the companies, you know, maybe broad strokes, like, mm -hmm. you know, what what's the general... Uh, like a thesis, I guess, right now mm -hmm. on like startups in, in the region? Uh, I would say broad thesis, this is actually uh, a very exciting time from a financial perspective for, for startups, uh, a, a couple reasons. One is uh, we obviously have a, a regional angel group, seven, five, seven, seven angels. Um, they've been around four or five years. I have the privilege of being chair this, this year. Um, Monique Adams certainly been executive director for a number of years. What's exciting is uh, we've been able actually uh, to fund over 43 companies, $43 million, 23 companies, excuse me. And most importantly, the uh, Angel Capital uh, Association in the United States really named up as one of the top 10 companies and for um, groups rather last year 
for um, the amount of funding that we did. So it's something that we've been recognized for at a national level, and we have well over 100 members in the group, which is very exciting. What's happening uh, generally in the um, angel and venture capital world is uh, a number of things. One is the whole concept of partnership and syndication, which means that you basically can look at how you can bring more capital and more opportunities to companies uh, because groups are able to uh, share information or bring uh, opportunities to each other, which is certainly uh, an exciting trend. Uh, we're also seeing an interest not only here in the Commonwealth, but um, across the Southeast and, and even the United States broadly, um, in more organizations forming um, to fund and support entrepreneurs. So uh, it's a combination of having existing organizations, but also some more resources happening. And then there's the potential on the, um, hopefully on the horizon for other resources statewide and externally to also provide funding support for entrepreneurs. So. Uh, it's a combination of the funding, and one thing I always say is money alone does not make an entrepreneur. It's, it, it, you might have all the money in the world, uh, but it's smart money and resources that also make a difference. And so I think, once again, we're seeing a range of resources coming together, not only accelerator programs, but mentors and others who can make a difference uh, for an entrepreneur at this time. Fantastic. Uh, where can everyone kind of check you out if they want to follow along or if they want to learn more about some of these programs and you know, learn more about uh, the work that you're doing? Where can they uh, follow Yeah, you? so my, my, my first recommendation, of course, is uh, at Old Dominion, the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Uh, you can just go to see us at uh, IIE.com uh, uh, from ODU, and you can uh, obviously email, excuse me, email us at IIE at ODU.edu. If you have any questions or comments, um, we actually respond to all of our inquiries if we can help or assist in any way. And uh, we're obviously um, a partner with a number of the organizations in the community, so you'll see our links pretty much everywhere in the, in the region. Fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I will link that up in the show notes, and thank you so much You're for coming welcome. on. You're welcome. Thank you, and good luck to HPC. There we go. Let's get that plug in there. <laughs>